Hi, this is Pastor JC. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast here at Faith Outreach Church. We want to invite you anytime you're in the area to come by and visit us at 3001 Wallace Avenue here in Terre Haute, Indiana. Sit back and enjoy today's message. We'll go through we'll go through each one tonight, and we're talking about there's three of them. There's three baptisms, and it's important that you get an understanding, and, and if you'll understand what each one is, then when you're reading them in Scripture, then you'll be able to get a feel for which one he's talking about. Because if you're trying to, if you're trying to associate water baptism with every reference that there are about uh, baptism, then you're going to be confused because it's not being used that way. And so once you get a feel and understanding for what we're talking about, then you'll be able to discern which one is being, uh, being discussed. So the word baptism itself means this, and this comes come straight, straight out of the book. This word is a translation of the Greek word baptizo, which means to wash or to dip. That's what the word means. The original meaning of the Greek word baptizo was actually to dip and die. And that's exactly what happens to us spiritually when we came into Christ. In that moment of salvation, when we repented and received Jesus as Lord and Savior, we were instantly dipped into and saturated with his precious blood. You'll reference is Romans 6, 3 through 4. The blood of Jesus cleansed us and so completely changed us that we, came, we became brand new creations. As a result, we are nothing like who we were before. And so when he's saying to dip and to die, and if you had read on a little more, he was talking about that how they would take a garment and put it in to die and they keep dipping it in there until it was completely saturated with the dye and come out with a different color. So it's talking about that happening to us spiritually. So the first baptism that we're going to look at tonight, and that is the baptism into the body the Bible talks about. Ephesians 4, 5 through 6, it says, There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so here, this scripture, it, t- it tells us that there's one baptism. So again, if this, you know, we just read in Hebrews 6 where it said baptisms. So it was talking about plural there. Now it's talking singular here. And so which is correct? Well, they're both correct. In the, in the sense that we're talking about the baptism into the body, then this is what this is in reference to. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we, bond, we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So when, we were, when you got saved, there was two things that happened to you. This way I'm looking at it. One was you became a new creation in Christ. Your, your spirit was born again. Uh, you, you take on the nature of God. And secondly, it talks about there was a spiritual baptism. The baptism was that the Holy Spirit was, was placing you into his body. He's likened, an, and Jesus is called the head, we're called the body. So universally, there is one church. We're not talking about a certain denomination. We're not talking about, you know, faith outreach can compare down here to another church. We're talking about that every believer, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we're plunged into what is called the body of Christ. The Ephesians even goes so far and calls us the church. So we're made reference as the body, we're made reference as the church, and in Ephesians 1, he says that, we're, or that we are the body and he's the head. And so we know that Jesus is the head, which is in heaven, but the body is here on earth, which we make up the body. Each individual makes up the member of the body. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many as you, as have been baptized into Christ, Put on Christ. Again, talking about how that we're baptized into him. Amen. So spiritually, 
there is a supernatural plunging into when you come into, when you accept Jesus Christ, then you're automatically placed in him. You are in the body of Christ. So the scriptures, when you read the scriptures, that says that uh, in him, in whom, uh, then that is talking about his body, which you are to identify with. You know, we were talking a little bit about identification this morning. And identifying, then when you read those scriptures, you're to accept that you're in him. Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Well, see, when he did those, he was doing those on our behalf. And so what we're doing then when we accept him then we're accepting his righteousness, we're accepting his holiness, we're accepting healing, we're accepting prosperity, we're accepting everything that he did for us at the cross. And so we are his body. Everything that, and here again, you know, as you look at what was on the head, which he is the head, just like your head, you know, we don't separate your head and your body. You know, we don't say, you know, when Brandon came in here, we said, well, hey, Brandon, how are you, Barney? You know, we don't call his, we don't call his lower part of his body another name. We're all one. Well, in that sense, that's the way we are in Christ. When we came to him, we're all one. We're one in him. And so everything that's on the head is on the body. Everything that was uh, conferred to the head is conferred to the body. Okay? I mean, it was the master plan of God. And so we're to identify ourselves in him and understanding that the spiritual, this spiritual baptism, we had nothing to do with other than to accept him. Okay, now everything else that we're going to be looking to is going to be a type, is going to be a, a, a way to show forth what has happened. That's what water baptism is. But this spiritual baptism, that's something that already took place. And it was initiated by the Holy Spirit. Because when we accepted Christ, then he plunged us into his body. And so everything that the body represents of Jesus, everything that Jesus had, everything that was uh, received through his death, burial, and resurrection that he went for, the moment that you accepted him, then you're accepting everything that he did. Now, what is necessary is that we get the knowledge of it. That's what, that's what the word does, the revelation of it. That's what, as you seek him, then more light comes to you and you begin to understand what it's all about. And as you begin to understand what it's about, then now you're able to walk it out by faith. You're able to declare and you're being, like we were saying this morning, you know, if you're going to abide under the shadow of the almighty, then you're going to have to say something. Well, it works identically here, too. Whenever you see what God has done, then you're going to have to say something. You're going to say, okay, that's me. That's the way that I, that's who I am now. I am holy. I am righteous. I am justified. Why? Because I'm in him. Amen. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that we did. Again, this is where religion and Christianity will really make their, make their division is, is because religion wants to do everything by works. We have to do something. We have to, you know, it's everything that we have to achieve. We have to, to do merits. We have to do a penance. We have to do the, no, when it comes to Christianity, it's all by faith. You have to, you have to accept what he did and believe that. Does that make sense? So there's a lot to this spiritual baptism, uh, more so than what we even get. The Bible says that, and that he placed you in the body as it pleased him over in 1 Corinthians 12. And so we're, we're members of the body and every, every member has a supply to one another, it says. And so the more that we conform unto God, the more that we conform unto him and his word, then the more useful we're going to be. The more that we're going to more productive will be, the more of a blessing will be, the more that the more that we'll walk in what he intended on us having. Amen. So 
that's the, that's the first baptism that it talks about. And so you're gonna, we'll look at some other scriptures as we look at the others, and you'll see this. Now, the second baptism is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that the, the baptism of, into the body always precedes the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, is Jesus who baptizes us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Matthew 3.11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is John speaking. But he said, He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So here's the second baptism. This baptism is the baptism of fire, the baptism of power that we'll see in Acts chapter 1-8. It says, after you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you shall receive power. Uh, the way that we receive it is by faith and by hunger. Hunger means that you want it, something that you want, that you are uh, asking for. And then faith is you believing and receiving that you get that. And we're going to see that in this baptism, <clears throat> that it is given, it was given uh, to the church. Again, to the church, meaning you have to be born again. You, it is not salvation. You, you must be saved first before you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But why was it given? Well, it was given to us so that we could live victorious. It was given to us so that we could do the will of God. I was listening to uh, one minister uh, talking about, and he was saying after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was liking at this, he said they had a board meeting. And at the board meeting was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so they asked Jesus, well, what, said, Jesus, what was it that you think was needed now as you became a man and you walked on the earth? What do you think that others will need now after you've experienced it? And he said, well, he said, the one thing that I know they're going to need, they're going to need help. They're going to need help to do what you're wanting them to do and to live a victorious life. The same help I uh, had. And he said, therefore, we're going to need to send them a helper. And he, they did. They sent the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Ghost was the helper. And so Jesus said, he told them, he said, unless, he said, it's an, uh, expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, then the helper or the comforter will not come. But he said, if I go away, he'll come. Well, he went away. And so the comforter has come, the helper has come, and the helper is for the church. And that is the thing that we have to receive and we have to lay hold of. Now, so let me give you some scriptures on this. Uh, and we're going to just, we're not going to go through each one on them. But um, let's see. In Acts chapter 1, 8, it says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has uh, come upon you. And that was in reference to, to receiving the promise of the Spirit or the promise. Well, we know that it's no longer a promise because this promise has been fulfilled. Uh, because it was given on the day of Pentecost. And so when we talk about the promise of the Spirit, then we're talking about it in name only, title. It's a title now. So when we say receive the promise of the Spirit, like the Scriptures say, then we're talking about receive the Holy Spirit because it is the title name now. Because why? Because it's been fulfilled. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Let's pull that one up. Forty-nine. I'm sorry. I thought that didn't look right. Luke twenty-four forty-nine. Behold, Jesus said, "I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem." <clears throat> and so we know they did that. In Acts one eight and two, we see they did that. He said, "Now this is what I want you to see: until you be endued with power from on high." Now, the Amplified says, until you be clothed with power from on high. So there is an endowment of power that comes upon as a believer as you receive the uh, uh, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, 
This power is to enable you to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not asking us to do this on our own. He's asking us to do this along with the helper. Amen. That he's given to us. Um, Acts, let's go to Acts 1. And I think maybe Acts 1, 4. Somewhere around there. Yeah. In Acts 1-4, before Jesus left, he uh, was with the disciples, and he said, being assembled together with him, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So notice that. So, we, so this is in reference to Luke, what he just said here. And he commanded, but I wanted you to see he commanded them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It is not, it is really not an option that is given to us to choose whether we want to or not. Jesus said he commanded us to do that. Why? Because he wanted them to wait until he was endued, they were endued with power. Then they would go out and do the work of the Lord. Amen? So that is Acts 1. So the question is, so we know that when one is filled with the Holy Ghost, then we see that they receive a prayer language or they speak with other tongues. So let's look at some scriptures on that real quick. There, uh, we'll look at, there's three references in Acts that specifically say that they do. In Acts chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it said, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it said upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice that it was the Spirit that gave them utterance. And so here on the, on the uh, initial day of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, when he was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says all of them that were in the upper room were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues or an unknown tongue as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it was the Holy Spirit giving them the utterance, and they did the speaking. Luke chapter, or uh, Acts 10, verse 46. <clears throat> this is Cornelius' house. And, and this is the day that Peter came. He was summoned there by the Lord through a vision. And he came to Cornelius' house. And, um, and the, his group of people that were there and Peter began to speak with him, speak with them, speak the gospel to him. And it says, on that day, as he was speaking, it said, they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God, then answered Peter. Verse 47. Can any man forbid water that, these should be, that they should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now, <clears throat> here you're seeing two baptisms. This is what I was saying. Notice that first of all, as he was preaching, the uh, Holy Spirit was poured out. And then as they were poured out, he, he, he believes and knows now that Jesus has, has accepted the Gentiles. Up to that time, the Jews didn't know that salvation was to the Gentiles. <clears throat> the Gentiles meaning the unbeliever. So they thought that, you know, salvation was just for the Jews. Well, now God's showing them that salvation is unto all people, all men, all women, and all children. And so <clears throat> while he is speaking to this group of, of people, which he didn't think was really the right ones, God filled them with the Holy Ghost right there. And so then uh, Peter, he says, no, wait a minute. That's the, same, that's the same thing that happened to us. That's the same spirit. He said, so this shows to me that God's accepted them. And he said, because of that, can anyone forbid us not to water baptize them? So, and here's, so here's something. <clears throat> um, you know, if we think, if some, because some would take this too far and say that water baptism is salvation. If you've not been water baptized in the name of Jesus only, or you've not been water baptized and you can't be saved, well, this proves that wrong. Or else God's got it all, all out of order. Okay? 
And we'll see here in a moment that uh, water, water baptism is not salvation. But we see here that as soon as they believed the word being preached, then they were filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And then Peter says, they need, you need to be water baptized. Acts 19.6. <clears throat> now this is at um, Ephesus. <clears throat> Paul's preaching to a small group in Ephesus. And it says, when he laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So here again, there's three references there. Every time they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. Now I'm going to give you two references where it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost, but it didn't say they spoke in tongues. But something had to happen in order for them <clears throat> to, uh, there was something that did happen for them to see that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 8, 17. <clears throat> it says, uh, speaking of, this is Peter and John. It said, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also the power that whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. So it doesn't say that when Peter and John laid their hands on them, that they spoke with tongues, but it's evident that when they did lay their hands on, something had to happen because you had somebody wanting that power. They seen what had happened and they said, we, I, I also want that. I'll pay money for that. And so I assume that if it's going to be a Bible pattern, they began to speak in tongues too. <clears throat> in Acts, in Acts um, 9.17, this is the Apostle Paul's conversion. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus and, and Jesus appeared to him and wanted to know uh, why he was kicking against the pricks. And in any way, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And then he told him, he goes, go in uh, to the street called Straight. And in there, I will tell you what you must do. So here he goes. He's going to this place. Uh, and all of the people with him were going with him. Uh, and so it, we pick up in verse 17. And it's talking about a disciple, not a minister, but a disciple. His name was Ananias. And <clears throat> the Lord appeared unto him and told him that you'll go to this certain, certain place and there will be Paul or Saul. And he said, you go there and you lay hands on him. And so Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to you in the way as thou comest, has sent me. And thou, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there, there fell from his eyes, as it were, scales, and he received, he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So the word baptized here, we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because he said to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, it doesn't say that uh, Paul spoke in tongues. But we do have references of his own um, uh, in scriptures here in 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. So it's a, I think it's a good assumption to say that Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost and received his prayer language right there. So <clears throat> again, to be filled with the Holy Ghost... Uh, is that is that salvation? No, that's not salvation. Uh, to speak with, do you have to to be saved to speak with tongues? No. But again, Jesus commanded us. He said, "Take this next step and receive what I've given to you: the baptism of the Holy Ghost." In Galatians three fourteen, I know I'm going fast, but we've got a lot to cover here. <clears throat> 
It says that the blessing of Abraham might come on, on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So again, it's a faith proposition to receive what God has. What do we mean by faith? That means you come and ask what he's, got, he's given to you to receive. Amen? <clears throat> okay. Third baptism. And this is the water baptism. And sometimes it's not, you know, it's, it's almost looked at as either uh, you can do it or you don't have to do it. But, you know, if Jesus told us to be water baptized, then there's a purpose in it. it there's nothing that he has commanded us to do or given to us to do that we should slide or, or not give any importance to. Uh, there, is a, there is a purpose, there's a reason. If anything, one of them is, is the obedience of it. Just being obedient to do what he's asked us to do. <coughs> so, the third water baptism is when we, when, and because of the definition itself, you know, people will fuss about whether you were dipped or whether you were sprinkled or, or you know, however you were done, you did it. Uh, I believe you should be dipped, but I don't think it's going to make, it doesn't make that big a difference to me uh, whether you did it that way or not. What you need to do is understand the meaning, the meaning of it and went through the obedience of it to do it. And so that's, that's my preference. I'm not going to argue about it. You know, if you're satisfied, you were sprinkled and you did it okay and everything, well, then that's good. Uh, there's no, there, you know, there's no use having a small war over something like this. But uh, again, there is, a, I believe there's a lot of meaning into it. And then over the years, it just seems like God has showed more and more the importance of it and what is to come from it. What is the teaching that's to come from it? What's the understanding that we are supposed to get from this? And so let's go over to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> And now you're going to see a little bit of the baptism of the body, and then you're going to see the water baptism. You're going to see both of those because really it is a picture of the baptism of you being plunged into the body of Christ. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul begins and he says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ? So let me ask you that question. So is that water baptism, is that the body baptism, or that is the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Which one would that be? But the body baptism. Notice he says you're baptized into Jesus Christ. So he's talking about something that as Jesus, the work of Jesus Christ, everything that he did, you are now to identify with that. If you, don't, if you don't get that, you gotta, that's the most important thing of the whole thing is you've got to get that. You've got to understand that. Because until you do, then, then the scriptures will not come alive to you. Because you're always going to be looking as, you're going to be looking him separately and you separately. And not being able to make the connection. Okay? And so you've got to be able sometime or another to see that, that everything that he went through and did for us and received for us, that's the same, that was on our behalf. And you've got to be able to put yourself in him. So not only do you have to be able to see him up on the cross, you have to be able to see you up on the cross. Because he went there on your, your, for your sake. He went there for my sake. And so I've got to be able to, to, to see every, all the, the torment and all the, the pain and all the suffering and all the sin and all the sickness and all, the, all that came upon him. i got to see, because the Bible says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay the death penalty. Somebody had to pay that penalty. And if he didn't go, then it would have had to been us. We would have had to been the ones who had paid it. We'd had to pay our own. Amen. And it wasn't so much of what we did. It's because it all comes back because of the family we're in. We're all, we all go back to Adam and Eve. There were, you know, everybody tries to separate us as races, you know, different races. But the truth of it is there's only one race, the human race. 
We're not, we're not a, you know, a, a black race or a red race or the, we all go back to the one, to that one, uh, Adam and Eve. So we're all the same race. Okay. And so everything that happened back then was, was uh, given to, to, was put in your account, which was not a good account because Adam and Eve messed up. And so that's why Jesus had to come. He had to come from outside. He couldn't come from the lin. He couldn't come the normal way. And he had to be, you know, we had to have the virgin birth. If we didn't have the virgin birth, none of this would ever work. So, you know, people try to discount, well, that couldn't have possibly happened. Well, if it didn't possibly happen, the whole Bible's a false and none of it's going to work. It had to happen that way. It was a miracle the way it happened, but that was the doorway that, that Jesus came through as a man. And he came as a righteous man, and therefore then everything he did, because he never sinned, he never erred, he never got off course, he came and fulfilled, fulfilled the plan of God, and therefore everything he did, he did for us. He was doing it as a righteous man. It, he's called the second Adam. The first Adam screwed up, and now the second Adam came on the scene to deliver us. And so the moment that we accept him, guess which family we get, we get put into? We get put into the second family, the second Adam. Amen. I mean, it was, a, you know, a masterpiece plan. Nobody, no one, the devil didn't even know it. He, the Bible says if he had known it, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Ha ha, he's not all that smart then, is he? And so God had him play right into his hand. And so, so, all, so he went on our behalf, he suffered, he, he took our sicknesses and disease, he took our poverty, he took our pain, he took our sickness, he, our, our sins, he took all of that at the cross, and so now and the only way that you can ever partake of what he did for you is because you're going to have to identify when he was raised, you were raised. When he came into newness of life, you come into newness of life. Everything from that point on after the cross, the, the exaltation, the justification, the uh, uh, glorification, all of that that happened after the cross was given to you and I. Hallelujah. And the only way you can the only way you can receive that is you're going to have to one day say, "Woo, that's me up there. That's me. Glory God, and I died." And so Paul, this is what he's doing right here. He's talking about you were baptized into Jesus Christ and you were baptized into his death. Death means separation. That's what death is. Natural death is separation of one spirit from the, their body. Well, then there's uh, 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 death, uh, spiritual death. Spiritual death is when you're separated from God and, and uh, well, you're separated from God. And so the world right now is spiritually dead. That's what the Bible calls them. Why? It's not that their spirits is non-living, their spirits is living, but they're separated. Amen. Sin separates us. That's what sin does. It separates. And so when he says that you were baptized into his death, guess what? That means that when he died, you died. What does that mean? That means you were separated then from everything that Adam, everything that was uh, uh, contributed or uh, that was given to Adam's account. All of the, all of the, the sin, all of the pain, all of the grief, all of that, all of that, that comes from his mistake that has came onto mankind. The Bible says that you died from that. It's called the old man or it's called the sin nature. So when we talk about being a new creation in Christ, then the spiritual part, the spiritual side of it, it's not so much, um, you, Conversion is not really a conversion is not being a Christian. All right, converting is not a Christian. New birth is a Christian term because you have to become new on the inside. And and how do you do it? You're baptized into His body. 
You're made a new creature in Christ. Your spirit man is new. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So I identify with that. Praise God. I'm a new creation now. Glory to God. And old things, that means my past is done away with. What well, does that mean when you remember? Yeah, I can remember my past, but it's not me. I don't, I don't identify it with it any longer. What I did in the past, the way I acted in the past, glory to God, Jesus died, and when he died, I died. Amen. And when he was raised again, I was raised again. You were raised again. And so this is, so Paul's talking here in verse four, he says, therefore, you are buried with him by baptism into death, that like, Christ, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So he was raised from the dead, glory to God, by the, by the glory of the Father, and it says now you're to walk in newness of life. So when we do water baptism, what are we, what is that implying? When we go, when we baptize you in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and we put you under the water, what does that mean? You're died. You died. Your old man died. Your spirit man. You're no longer that, that you were before. And then when you come out of the water, we're talking about the newness of life. It's a picture of what happened spiritually. Can you see that? And there, to say there's no spiritual implication is wrong because I don't know. There's something I believe that takes place because it's so important that we go baptize everyone in water and that we teach them, it says, all things of the kingdom. So there's teaching that comes forth, and, but it's not salvation in and of itself. So you can be baptized, but if you've never accepted Jesus, all you did was got wet. Amen. There's no salvation to it. And sad to say, a lot of people, I think, have went through the motion thinking that was salvation. That's not salvation. The only salvation that you'll ever receive is Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. He is our Savior. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Okay, old man is talking about the spirit of man, because when, we when we were born, we were born with a sin nature. And when we accept Jesus Christ, the very nature that was preventing us from having fellowship and being in, in the family of God, he died. Okay, the thing is, if you, if you don't die here on earth, you'll die, you'll die for eternal. You'll live eternally dead. I mean, separated from God. So we must die. How do we have this death? We have it by accepting Jesus Christ. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of death, we shall also, in the likeness of the resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or the body of sin might be loosed. That's what that word destroy means. It doesn't mean annihilated. And I want you to notice something. It says the body of sin. So the sin nature is in your body, is in your flesh, okay? So your spirit has now come alive unto God, but you're still gonna have to deal with the temptations and the lusts of the body, that doesn't go away with. And you have to, what you're, the only way that we can overcome that, the Bible says, is that we identify with what Christ did and that our spirit man becomes alive and therefore we can, we can quench the flesh. For he that is dead is free from sin. Or you're, you're uh, free from the control of sin. Sin doesn't have to control you any longer. Amen. You're not under the power of it any longer. And what's interesting, if you'll take the time and read 1 Corinthians or Romans 7, he gives the analogy of a man and a woman, of a marriage. And he talks about that in that marriage, that when the one spouse dies, then, that per then the other person who's still alive, he's free from the contract. 
They don't, there is, he's free to go do whatever and go remarry. But it says, but it took the death of one. Well, he likens that to your spirit man. Your spirit man, when you came to Christ, died. Therefore, you were free from the control of sin. You don't, no longer does it have control over us. It may, you may yield to it. You may think it has control. But again, this is where the revelation comes of what Christ did for you. And believing and acting on that is when you'll get victory over it. <clears throat> How many wants victory over it? Yeah. I mean, having victory over tempers and, and anger and, and all, all the lust and jealousy and all those things, that's the very thing that we want to be free of. Right? Absolutely. Well, the Bible says you are free from it. But you're going to have to, you're going to, have to separate yourself from it, like, the, like he says, and realize that it doesn't have control over you anymore. Um. So the first thing that happened in water baptism is when we go under the water, then that's representing that we died in Christ. When we come back up, we're coming back up in a new man, a new Christ. Uh, let me give you this scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. So he says, the preaching of the cross, what happened at the cross, when we understand thoroughly what happened there, he said, then you're going to find the power of God. What does that mean? The power from separation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of some things where people struggle the most. You see a lot of times people struggle with oppression. You see them uh, struggle with anxiety. You see them struggle with all these things. Well, if, you could, if we can ever understand that at that cross, when Jesus died, then you see yourself, that means you're dying from all of those things that controls people today, that tries to control us, okay? And if you can imagine that, okay, when he did that, I'm up there, and see yourself up there also with him, then you can come and say, no, no longer, devil, can you torment me with this. I am free from it. I am free. See, the Bible, you'll see scripture after scripture that will tell you about your freedom and your liberty right now before you ever see it, see it in manifestation, when you ever see it before you feel it. It already tells you that you have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So, why, so what is going to cause that from just being on the paper to be experiential? Well, it's going to be you declaring it. It's going to be you saying it. You know, I told you the story about the man that smoked and he wanted to quit smoking. And he asked the preacher and he said, preacher, he goes, I, I feel, you know, I want to quit. I want to stop, but I can't stop. And he said, well, you do what I tell you to do. He said, I will if it's easy. He said, it's probably the easiest thing you'll ever do. And he said, what is it? He says, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the word of God says that he's already delivered you from the power of darkness. So you could take power of darkness there and, and put it through uh, nicotine and cigarettes and so you, or you could put drugs or whatever, and you could, you could substitute that and say, I've been delivered from cigarettes, and I've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. He says, what I want you to do is that every time that you have the urge, every time that you get a cigarette out, or every time you go for them, uh, and every time you light up, he says, all I want you to do is this. I want you to thank God that you're delivered. He says... Go ahead and smoke it. He said, yeah, go ahead and smoke it. it. ain't gonna hurt nothing. He said, go ahead, but promise me you'll do this. He said, go ahead. And he said, every time you do it, just say, Lord, I want to thank you. I'm delivered from cigarettes. Every time you, you buy a new pack, I'm delivered from cigarettes. He said, you want me to go ahead and do that? He said, yeah, go ahead and do that. He said, so, so it was, a, I don't know, a few weeks he'd come back. And he said, you know what? He said, I really thought you were crazy. But, you know, I did that. I thought, well, you know, I can do that. I, I want to quit. I've tried to quit. And he says, I'm going to do that. So he said, every time, he said, every time he'd get a cigarette and light it up, he'd puff on and say, Lord, I want to thank you. I'm delivered from cigarettes. 
And he said he'd be going down the road and he'd be smoking. He said, Lord, I want to thank you. I'm delivered from cigarettes because the Bible says you've delivered me. He said, I just kept doing that. And he said, you know, one day I, I had a pack. I opened up a pack and I started to smoke and I thought, I don't need these. And he said, I just went ahead and I, you know, threw it away and I didn't think much of it. And later on, I threw the whole pack away. And he said, praise God, I'm delivered. Well, what happened was, what, it, what did he do to, to, to cause that to work for him? Well, it was, the power, it was the power of the cross because he began to identify that he was delivered before he ever seen he was delivered. See, that's, that is the way faith works. You, you tap in to what God has done for you. You, you began to identify that it, that's you. Amen. And as you do that, then you'll see that, you'll see the new man begin to, you'll see the new man on the inside. You know, the Bible says this, uh, over in Amos, it says um, that how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? How can two? Let me tell you your two that he's talking about. Your soul and your spirit. When you can get your mind in agreement with what's already happened to your spirit man, then you will begin to see the power of God work. See, it's all about renewing your mind. It's all about getting your mind in line with the word of God. And when you begin to confess that, and when you begin to agree with that, then what happens? Your spirit, man, is in that divine nature that's on the inside of you that's kept shut up. Then he begins to work, and the power of the cross begins. And what does he do? He sets you free from the nicotine power, the nicotine uh, of the, the power of nicotine. So it's again, it, this is telling us what has already transpired. It's not something that is going to happen one day to you. When you came to Christ, this all happened. So getting the revelation, getting the understanding of it, and then applying it to your life. You have to make application of it, and you make application of it with your words, by your confession, taking these scriptures and whatever you need and begin saying, that's who I am. This is what God has done for me. And as you do that and be faithful with that, then you'll begin to see that there is a greater power on the inside of you called the greater one, the Holy Spirit, and he will come forth and set you free. Can you say amen? Amen. <clears throat> so you're a new man Here's another one uh, What identifies with uh, water baptism. You now belong to God. Let me give you the two scriptures there. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Uh, know ye not that your body, your body now is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. We belong to him. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. In other words, your life no longer belongs to you. Your, li your life now is his. Amen. And here's the last one. And this is the one that, um, <clears throat> that I like talking about the most and if we go to Matthew 28 talking about water baptism uh, 28 18 through 20 it said Jesus came and spake unto them this is before he was taken away he's already been raised from the dead he's saying all a power and that word power is a Greek word exousia, and that means it also is translated authority. So it's not just talking about a, a might or talking about strength, it's talking about authority here. So you can read it this way, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Well, you know, if you stop right there, you think, well, you know, I believe that. Praise the Lord. We know that Jesus is Lord and that he has all authority and all things are under his feet and so on and so, so forth. But the fact of it is, again, if that's all that took place at the cross, what good does that do you and I? 
I mean, you know, what is that? I mean, all, all we're really experiencing is we know we're saved, we're going to heaven, and now just make it the best you can down here on earth. No, he said, he said, all power given to me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore. Why are we to go? Because he said, power is given to me, and remember, we're in the body of Christ. See, you got to get that. We're, still, we're in his body now. And so if it's given to him, it's given to you all. It's given to me. Why? Not because of something I've done, not because of works, not because of merits, not because of, you know, church attendance, not because of anything other than I'm in his body now and now it's transferred to me. Because we're looking at everything he did, not anything that we've done. So he says, now go therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So here we go. The, bap the baptism that is being spoken of here, he's talking about water baptism. That we're to go water uh, water baptize everyone in his name and we're to teach them to observe whatsoever he's commanded. So there's supposed to be a teaching that goes along with this. When we're doing a water baptism, there should be some teaching, some information that is passed along what has happened and to then typify when we do the water baptism that what's going on spiritually, okay? So... <clears throat> One of the things that, that I have gleaned from this over the years is this, when he said, go baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, people, again, get in small wars about, did you do it in Jesus' name? Did you do it in his name only? Did you do it in the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost? Um, well, I think, you know, again, there's, there's no reason to fight over it. You know, if you're satisfied with it and you got what you wanted out of it, that's great. You know, let's go ahead, love one another, stay, you know, and, and do what we're supposed to do. But I believe that there's more, there's stuff here that God wants us to glean from so that we can be more productive. Now, notice he says, go and baptize them in the name. The word name is talking about authority. So if I, so if I, you know, I tell Brandon, I said, go down to uh, the store here and pick up the whatever and do it in my name. Tell them that, you know, I told you, told them to send, that I sent you and that it'll be all taken care of. So he goes down there. And so I've already made arrangements and he goes down there. Hey, you know, I'm picking up such and such for JC. And they said, oh, okay, everything's taken care of here. Okay. So we're talking about doing it in the name or the authority of. So when he says that baptizing them in the name, we could say baptizing them and authorizing them. All right, authorizing them. And notice what he says. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. So I got this big picture one time of this, when we were baptizing people, when we, and especially when you're plunging them into the water, that we're plunging them into all of the authority of the Father, all of the authority of the Son, and all of the authority of the Holy Ghost. Because that's what's been given to us. Now, you have to, you have to believe that in order to act on it. But I believe I got some scriptures that back that up, okay? But the teaching that is supposed to be given because God wants to know that you're authorized to use his name. He wants you to know that, you, that, that when you go and preach his word and tell them in his name, he wants you to realize he's there with you. You say, do you have scripture for that? Yeah, I got scripture for that. Go to Mark 16 and the last two verses. 
So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Notice what he confirmed, the word. So when so he wants us to realize that you have been authorized. It's not a gradual thing. It's not a, you know, after you've been saved and you've been in church for a while and you've learned some, and then he says, okay, here, here's my name. The name is given as it comes along with salvation. Everything comes with salvation. I mean, everything. He didn't hold anything back from us through salvation. It's there. Trouble is, we either don't believe it or we don't know about it, and so therefore we don't access it. So when he's talking about here baptizing them, he's talking, I, my thought is, he's trying to get the new converts or the new believers, he's trying to get them an understanding, listen, my name belongs to you right now. You have the backing of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You don't, have, you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to do any of those things. I'm conferring it onto you right now. You have that name. The, 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 when you speak that name, the devil recognizes that name and he has to bow. Okay? And so water baptism is supposed to be like a ceremony to me that is that we're you're being graduated into the things of God. You're being from you're being given all of these medals that show who you are in Christ Jesus and what you now possess. It's like almost like a police officer, you know, all of a sudden he goes through the ceremony, he's given his badge, he's given his gun, he's given his uniform, he's given his car and he's given okay, go. Go. Well, it's the same way as a Christian. You're given all of these things, and then what's the first thing that's told to us? Go. Go ye in all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? And so these things are given. So this is what I see as far as the ceremony or the uh, water baptism. Now, Colossians 2, verse 6 through 10. We're almost done. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. So can you walk in him? Can you do it? Well, you should be able to because you're already in him. Remember, we're in his body. Everything we do, we do in him. We, the Bible says we live, we move, we have our being in him. So the more that you can, the more that you can identify as being in him, I tell you, it's going to be, it's going to transform your life because all of a sudden now you're going to be seeing yourself as his body. You're going to be, you're going to be uh, um, understanding that wherever you go, you're his representative. You understand he can't go nowhere until we go somewhere. We are, we are his hands, his feet. We are his mouthpiece. When you go and you pray in the name of Jesus, then you're saying, I'm praying in his stead. In other words, if Jesus right now was here, this is the way he would be praying for you. This is why it's so important we pray the word. Because some prayers that we say may not be like what he would pray. Are you here? So this is why you get an understanding and more knowledge of his word so that you can be like him. That's what he wants. God wants us to be like him. So that's why he's given all things to us. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Verse 9 and 10. For in him dwelleth, notice this, when you see in him, it's talking about Christ. In Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10. And you, ever say, say me, me, 
I am complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, I dare would not even say that if the word didn't say that. Honestly. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even confess or say that uh, about myself unless the word says that. And so you can see right now, go back to verse 9. So it talks about in Christ, notice this, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we know the Godhead bodily is the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. All of them are three in one. They're in unity. They do everything perfectly. They, you have the planner, you have the doer, and you have the executioner. The one who executed it, the Holy Ghost. And so what happens here? He says all of them the, were the, the, all the fullness. So when Jesus came, he came representing all of them, the other two. And then verse 10 says, you, you are now complete in him, in Christ, which is ahead of all principality and power. So everything that was transferred upon Christ, I mean, when you, when you start reading in, uh, Romans 1, I believe it is, or Hebrews 1, starts talking about how that his name was conferred upon him and how that he was raised up and seated, then that's also talking about you because you're complete in him. Amen. You know, I'll tell you exactly what's going to prevent you from doing that is when you analyze yourself. When you start, when you start looking at your faults and your shortcomings, then it's going to make it hard for you to accept what Christ did. You're going to have to lay those aside. You can't, you can't mull around in that. You can't, you know, well, there's no possible way. I'm this and I'm that and I've done this and, you know, no, you got, you got to lay those aside and you've got it sometime along. No, praise God. I believe I am who God made me. I believe I am who he created me to be. I believe I can do what he said he can do. Amen. And if he says I'm complete in him, which is ahead of all principality and power, then bless God, I'm complete in him. Well, now you're getting ready to make the devil mad. He's all right. He's all right. You're coming to church and sitting. But for you to start confessing and saying what God has done in Christ is now in you and you're now capable to walk in that, then you're making him mad and you're scaring him. That's all right. We want to scare him. We want to terrorize him. Amen. So you can see here that there is some, I believe there's some backing on that, talking about the baptism, how that you've been baptized or authorized in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And this is how water baptism can also be taught how, so that when a new believer goes and is water baptized, not only is he confessing to the world, he's got a new life, he's following Jesus Christ, but also that he is being conferred and given all the power and all the authority that his Savior now uh, has. Amen? To what? Do the work and do the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, I got verse 12 and 15, through 15. Let's see what that says. Oh, Buried with him in baptism, that's who we are, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead, verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together, quickened means made alive, with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All your trespassing sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. Say it. All my trespasses have been forgiven. Verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. And having, I like this part, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Glory to God. So his triumph is our triumph. What he overcame, we now overcome. 
What he went through, we, we go through. What he suffered, glory God, we suffered. We suffered in him. Therefore, when he was raised to the newness of life, you're raised to the newness of life. Amen? So, the, again, just going back to this morning, talking about abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, notice that what? You have to say something. You have to say what God has done into you before it begins to manifest and work in you. And so identification is everything. And that's what it's all about, is you being able to understand and then begin to identify or make an application of it in your life. Because God doesn't, God's not going to do any, he doesn't need to do anything else. He doesn't need to come out of heaven and to do any other work. Glory to God, all he needs is for us to have our eyes open and for us to have faith in what he did and begin to work it, begin to apply it in our lives. Amen. So three, three baptisms. The water baptism, uh, really, <clears throat> there's, there's no time limit, but it's, we should try to baptize as soon as someone is saved. Glory to God, take them into water baptism. Because again, it's all about the obedience uh, I, and getting the teaching and understanding of it. The baptism of the Holy Ghost comes after being saved. And you should be, you should be filled with the Holy Ghost. You should receive it. Why? Because it's a gift. It's the power of God. Amen. And so what does it take? It takes hunger and it takes faith to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So those are the three main baptisms that are talked about in the New Testament. And those three baptisms, glory to God, those are, uh, to me, they're pretty important, especially understanding the body, all three of them actually, understanding why we're, who you're baptized in, then it'll make sense in those scriptures when it talks about anything it talks about in Christ, then you can substitute and put yourself there and, and begin to declare, okay, that's me. Amen. When it said about 2 Corinthians 5.21, says he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, guess what then? In him, Praise God, righteousness, thou I'm righteous. That's, where, that's why we can say, praise God, I'm righteous. It wasn't because of what I did just five minutes ago. It wasn't because of how I felt. It's because the word says so, and now I began to say what he says about me. And as, a, as I began to say that, that I am the righteous of God, then what, it, what begins to happen, we began to produce fruits of righteousness. Fruits, I mean, there's going, to be, there's going to be things that are going to come from our life that are going to be signs of righteousness working in us. See, that's the way you're supposed to work it. You're supposed to work it from the inside out, not from the outside in. Religion works it from the outside in. Do this, quit this, stop this. You, when you do this, then you're this, you know. But that's not the way it works. It works from finding out who you are in Christ, believing and acting on it, saying that, and then all of a sudden, every, the outer man begins to change. It begins to conform and come into the, come into the image of the inner man, of who, who we're like after Christ. Any questions? <clears throat> 